Oh, wait, I'm supposed to say the intro. Oh, my God. Hold on. No, no, no. I'm, I'm, you, you just have to say your name and what you are. I got the rest. Okay. All right. All right. I am ready. Okay. Yes, I'm ready. Hi, I'm Madeline, and I'm a writer and a cultural critic. I'm Dave. I'm a comedian and actor. And welcome to Genre Reveal Party. This is our podcast where we talk about TV and movies through the lens of genre, its definition, its limits, and what we can learn by exploding those things. Each episode, one of us chooses a TV show or movie to discuss. There will be spoilers, partially because it's our goal that you don't need to have watched the thing to enjoy the podcast. And this week, season one, episode two, I chose the 2018 movie Shoplifters, written, produced, edited, and directed by Hirokazu Kurita. So if you listen to our first episode about succession, you know our theme this season is Family Matters, stories about families and the family form under capitalism. And family is the whole thing with shoplifters. Family is kind of the whole thing with Karita in general. Madeline, I was wondering, wondering, had you seen any Hirokazu Karita movies before this? You know, I hadn't. Um, and I had been meaning to watch this movie for... Yeah, almost five years. So I was really glad that um, you chose it. You selected what, it. What put it on your radar? I edited a piece. Um, well, I knew about it. Um, and then I edited an essay for the journal Blind Field. Where yes. I'm, I'm an editor by Alva Gottby, um, which is called Kidnappers. Social Reproduction, Crime and Gender in Nanette et Boni and Shoplifters. It's a great essay. Um, and I may like read a little excerpt from it later. Yeah. Um, cool. And But to be honest, I kind of, uh, there are a few of his movies that are on my list, so to speak, that I've been avoiding because of how difficult this subject matter is. Um, okay. And, and after watching this did not do anything to assuage your feeling that those other movies are going to be rough to process. Yeah. But in the, in a kind of weird way, I, I appreciate it. I appreciate it as an assignment, you know, I was like, okay, I'm going to watch this movie and then you and I are going to talk about it. And Mm -hmm. there's going to be some kind of framework for this experience where, you know, sometimes I'll watch a movie and then just get destroyed by it. And then I like, don't know anyone else who's seen it or. Yeah. Yeah. This is a brutal one, man. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. So I I, the experience. Yeah, me too. I'm excited because it is really, it's like, if we didn't have this to talk about the ending of this moving movie, which we'll get to, Mm-hmm. Oof, man, it just would be tough not to have a net of another human being to be like, yeah, are you okay too? You, I know. you we went through this together. Yeah, so I know. Karita, I cried you like cry. a lot. And then I texted you. Did you watch it yesterday? I watched it yesterday. Okay. <laughs> I thought you would watch it a couple days ago and then just thinking about it again, you cried. No, I watched it yesterday and then I cried and then I texted you and then I was like, well, in half an hour, I go to therapy, so that's good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Did you work some shit out in therapy? Yeah. Um, I didn't directly talk about it, but, you know, it was okay. just good to, like, have, yeah, psychological space for it. But <laughs> yeah, that totally. said, it's not like it's not like some movie like um, Salo or something like that, where it's just 
straight up torturous to watch. It's no. just that it plucks at your heartstrings so it's so sneaky, bad. You know, sneaky emotional torture for sure. Yeah. So yeah. I know Karita because his 1998 movie Afterlife, which I think is his second feature film, he started in documentaries. That is one of my favorite movies, and it's way higher concept. It's like this group of people who are they're in this bureaucratic afterlife assigned to recreate people's uh, memories to send Mm -hmm. them on to the next uh, level. And there are some revelations at the end of that movie, the way there are here. Mm -hmm. And so it was interesting, the, the, the similarities between that movie and the big differences. And it seems like this movie is way more like, I had no idea the depth of his filmography since 1998 yeah and they've basically all been investigating this question of what makes a family Mm -hmm. he told deadline that the inspiration for this movie came from stewing on his 2013 film like father like son so here's his quote he said i explored what makes a family is it blood or is it the time we spend together as a family in this film he's talking about shoplifters i further that notion It's about whether we can form a family beyond blood relations. So that was kind of a jumping off point, the first thought I had. And then in addition, as we suffer from an increasing recession in Japan, there have been incidents that relate to poverty. Mm -hmm. In that same article, uh, it also mentions his 2004 movie, Nobody Knows, which is based on this famous Japanese child abandonment case. A lot of this stuff, a lot of the, you know emotional weight and details and revelations that make these Karita movies, Karita movies are just too much to get into. And I also like, as much as I'm fine with spoiling shoplifters, I actually kind of don't want to spoil like afterlife, uh, for example. But here's what he told Deadline about the similarities between this and Nobody Knows. And I'm trimming this quote down a bit. Mm -hmm. So he said, both of those films, Nobody Knows and Shoplifters, are what we call in Japan home genre, home dramas which means family dramas that take place in homes. So they fall into that same genre, I guess. But for the last five or six years, I've been telling stories from a more intimate point of view. And with this film, I went back to a more wider point of view, exploring not just the individuals of the family, but the family within the society and the friction that arises because of that. And that kind of wide point of view is something that I had when I made Nobody Knows. So this leads us perfectly into genre discussion. Mm-hmm. But before we dive in, let's go over some details of the story. The main characters are the Shabatas. And here are, here are some names. We're going to refer to these perhaps interchangeably by their role, but we'll try to get names as well. So Osamu is the name of the dad. Nobuyo is the name of the mom. Aki is an Honestly, I'm not clear on this. I had her as older sister slash aunt. Mm. Uh, was is that does that feel right to you? What would you say is her? I think she's uh, to Hatsu, the grandma. Yeah, yeah. So Shota is the son. Right. Hatsue is the grandma, and That's she right. is she is she is um. Well, I, I have a I have a little section on the revelations at the end, so mm-hmm. I'll I'll say that. But Kieran Kiki, who I think is an actress who worked with Karita a lot, this was actually her last role as the wow. grandma. Wow. Um, and then we have the adopted slash kidnapped 
slash, I guess, shoplifted daughter. Mm-hmm. Uh, she goes by Yuri. Her real name is Jury. They call her Lynn when they try to change her name. I'm just going to call her Yuri because that's how it starts. So okay. we got <clears throat> Yuri. Okay. So the mm-hmm. deal with them is they're poor. They live in a shack off of Hatsue's pension check and they shoplift to survive. But they do work. Osamu does some kind of construction odd job stuff. Nabuyo works in an industrial laundry factory. And Aki works in a sex club, which I found best described in Manola Dargis's review in the New York Times. She says, in a row of semi-private booths, she and other women perform for anonymous clients, shedding underwear to mechanically bob up and down before smoked windows. And it is mm-hmm. just really weird, this like bobbing up and down. I was just like, for a second, I was like, is she on a dildo? Is this like, is she masturbating? But it really does seem just like, almost like put a quarter in a pony outside of the grocery store, like shaking up and down. And it's at the fringe of legality, right? So the club owner says this line, like no fingers, you're going to get us. um, Right, right, right. Closed down, right? Yes. So um, yeah, what I found interesting about those scenes is, is some of the stuff about, yeah, what is and isn't legal, which is a bigger, bigger question about the state in the film um, mm-hmm. in general, but it kind of leads to this like absurdity in the, um, in the se- sex club. Right. Like, right. Right. Because it's absurd because also he like chides Aki for wearing <laughs> two pairs of underwear, when right. it be- which is clearly like a protective measure. So they're not like, seeing her, her shit directly you know but he's yeah. like hey you know you're wearing too much underwear they need to be able to see something granted it needs to be through underwear but they need to see something you know yeah yep, very weird exactly so where yuri comes in is osamu and shota see her on her porch in the cold playing by herself and they invite her to dinner at their shack and when she gets to their place the family sees yuri's scars from where her parents, they definitely burned her, and it seems like they probably hit her as well. So they take her in. From there, Karita shows a lot of slice-of-life stuff. Mm-hmm. Eating noodles, hot and cold noodles, a lot of good noodle shit in the yeah. movie. Um, shows them shoplifting, just talking, a little sex between Osamu and Nobuyo. And it's weird to think a home drama like this could have huge spoilable plot points, but it does. Right. And that's one of Karita's things. Like we said, he buries these big secrets that turn the world on its head within these everyday dramas. So one day when Shota tries to protect Yuri from shoplifting by getting caught himself, he runs out into the street, the sh- the shop guys, in some stupid shop guy shit. You don't need to run. He has some oranges. They Don't run out of your store. I don't think anyone would do that. I mean, I think a lot of people are limited to their own shops and are like, fuck this, a bag of oranges is not worth mm-hmm. it. I'm sure there are some people now who would continue to chase. But these two shop guys chase Shoda. Uh, he jumps off this bridge onto the street below. It's probably like a 15 foot drop maybe. Yeah. And he ends up in the hospital. And after that, all of the, you know, revelations come out. And the big one is that none of these people are related by blood. Osamu and Nabuyo killed her former husband in a self-defense crime of passion situation. Aki 
is the granddaughter of Hatsue's dead ex-husband, who she's collecting the pension checks from, but she's the granddaughter by a different woman. Mm -hmm. And Hatsue was basically extorting Aki's parents for money, arguable there. There's there's some real interpretation of what's true around some of these details in the end. Uh, Shota finds out the family was trying to sneak off without him when he was in the hospital. Yuri gets returned to her blood parents after her disappearance has become a big news story. The news also reports Hasue's body being buried under the shack, which the family did after she died in her sleep. And then Nobuyo goes to jail for five years, five years for corpse disposal of Hatsue, taking the fall for Osamu because he had a record. And Shota goes to a group home. Mm-hmm. And I went into this movie knowing the Shibatas weren't related by blood. But if you didn't know that, these revelations flip the story on its head. And they all serve to underline the big question of the movie, what makes a family? And with that, let's chat. Did you know that they were not related by blood going into this? I did. Unfortunately, the trailer kind of reveals that. I think the movie itself kind of reveals that. Yeah, it does. It does. And you can definitely. So there was a certain point where I realized, oh, I guess that. I mean, it really is the whole the whole film is kind of playing with our perception of what a family looks like. Right. And they look like a family. Right. So. Um, that, that seemed like a pretty interesting arc to me, but, uh, I regret, I kind of regret that I knew about Shota, um, some details Mm. about Mm. his life, um, which, you know, in the end it's revealed in some way that, uh, he was stolen with a car, right? Well, we, right. Was he stolen with a car or from a car? I guess with a car. I, I like that. That does make sense. They didn't mean, they didn't know that he was in the car when they. Well, I think he asks right? them. He's like, did you know I was in the car when you stole it? And they yeah. say yes. They, they say that they rescued him. They're like, yeah, we rescued him. Right. Right. Do you buy that? No, because. Then later he, um, much later he asks Osamu about that again, right? And I think we're supposed to stay with Shota's skepticism. Okay. Okay. If that makes sense. Fair. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I think it's like the Hatsue, like, question about whether she's extorting or like, you know, cause Aki comes to the conclusion that it was just about money with Hatsue and it wasn't, we know that to be, I true. don't think it was either. I don't think. No. That, yeah. Because there's that wonderful scene where she's just so loving towards Aki. Um, and that's what we see, you know, consistently in the film. That's what we see first as we see these scenes where there's love and care and tenderness and mutual understanding, you know, and that's the foot forward always. Um, So at the point where I became suspicious of 
Hatsue, the grandma. I, I I already kind of believed that that she had a kind of she had a more complicated relationship to Aki than um, than Aki's parents would would understand too, right? Yeah, for sure. For because sure. they're just paying her off. So well, r- yeah, they're paying her off, but what are they paying her off for? Like I'm I'm curious if mm-hmm. they know uh if they know that she's living with Hatsue or not. I think that they do know that. <clears throat> Why do you think that? And it, it is because in that scene you're supposed to take from it exactly what's not being said, right? Where Hatsue says to them, you know, and what about your other daughter? You know, right? And they're like, "Oh, she's in Barcelona or some shit." Right? Like that. And they're she's checking abroad. She didn't come home. Exactly. But at first, you're thinking, "Okay, these parents are keeping up appearances. They're lying." But yeah. then I came to feel actually what they're doing is, um, you know, confirming the narrative, right? Like squaring things away with her without saying anything. So, but I love how the movie throughout there's these scenes like that where because you know what matters in the scene is exactly what's not going to be said there's so many different kinds of interpretations you can draw from them right right so I really like that ambiguity and yeah we can we can leave it at that but I I did the 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 risk there is like how do you end the thing, right? Do you end it with a sense of uncertainty or do you finally kind of um, tie things off, right? And so I was kind of curious about how you felt about about that ultimately um, in terms of what happened, specifically what happens to the children, but... Like what happens after the end of the movie, basically? Yeah. Well, another thing that I wanted to add that I think is really brilliant in the filmmaking by mm-hmm. Karita, uh, because he's given a lot of credit for working really well with non-actors, especially mm-hmm. a lot of his children are non-actors and setting up these, these sort of giving them, giving the actors beats rather than I- exact scripts. I'm not sure what the, what the ratio is there, mm-hmm. but I think by so much of the interpretation of the truth is in the performances. It's like, yeah. do you believe the face that Aki's parents are making around right. this stuff? Right. And that shit can totally change from person to person. And that's like really Karita being like, you know, so often authors are like, the interpretation is up to you. But like, he genuinely doesn't in some way, he relinquishes control over yeah, the truth of certain information. I think that's super fucking cool. I think that's generally quite true in the film. Um, and maybe we can just table, table, shelf. What furniture table am I using? Shelf. Let's shelf Fair. the conversation about Evan. the end for now, because okay. I think if any, if if there is a, a really decisive moment in the film, it's. It's like those last two scenes, right? And right, so, right. Um, okay, I have a good starting point then. Yeah, so let's let's start in the beginning, not in the end. Let's talk about um, 
moral versus legal transgressions, mm. especially, you know, the contrarian in me finds it helpful to start with something to react against. Okay. So I'm looking up reviews yes. for this movie, uh, you know, the, the local alt-weekly Local for me in Chicago mm-hmm. is The Reader. Mm-hmm. Love The Reader. Love The Reader. Hated the fucking review of Shoplifters in The Reader. It's not. Even, it's like a three out of four star review, too. But I just like, I think it got so much wrong. So two big things. One, um, the review says that Shoda's been manipulated by the adults in his life. And it. so I'm quoting here. And it points the moral questionability of their behavior. Yet for much of the film, Corita undercuts this moral complexity by making the parents seem like children themselves. Their clever responses to poverty sometimes suggest children's games and their desire for familial bonds seems to exceed that of the kids they're raising. Osamu's insistence that Shota call him dad is certainly the film's most mawkish motif. If anything, the characters are too likable. Karita renders them so sympathetic and the culture they inhabit so cruel that one can overlook their transgressions. So I guess let's just pause after that one because that, what the fuck? That quote to me is like saying these people are doing something wrong and how dare they be human, be likable. And like, even the reading of the scene where Us- Osamu's asking Shota to call him dad is like, it's not an insistence. He's kind of like asking. And it's like, I don't think it's like overly sentimental. I think it's like, it shows Osamu's neediness. It's not like this. It's way more complex than just, I don't know. What, what the fuck does mawkish even mean? You probably know. Mockish? Yeah, I'm looking it up here. Sentimental like, in a feeble or sickly way, right? So, like, oh, that yeah. would make it's it... With an O, yeah. It's yeah, like, that... Yeah, mockish is in... M-A-W-K. Yeah. Um, so, what do you I do make think of... that's a risk of the film, but this this is just a shit review. <laughs> yeah, I guess. I didn't find much... like. Ten, I think I think it's really fucked up to because there's not a lot of like it, it's a it's a difficult critical pose to be like the tenderness in this movie is beautiful. It's way it seems mm. more intellectually rigorous to be to like attack sentimentality as opposed to like there's some genuinely tender moments in this movie and they fucking work for me. Right. I didn't find much sentimental much in a like sickly sweet way at all especially because other like way bitter shit balances that out at different points in the movie anyway what do you think about uh, uh, my thing is i kind of think they're doing like literally nothing wrong morally morally yeah i mean I was going to get out of the question of morals and bend towards ethics. I, you know, morals like implies that there are good and bad people, you know, whereas like, okay, the question is, some, uh, the, the questions I have about the film are so much about like everyday ethical choices 
um, that the characters are, are faced with. But we do have morals as in like principles that come up a couple of times, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, so the question of whether something belongs to someone, right? Of belonging right. and like what can and can't be stolen is about belonging. So um, Nobuyo is like explaining this principle, moral principle basically to Shota that nothing in the the stores belong to anyone yet. Right. And Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. that that's different, but then we, I mean, Shota himself, you know, and the car he was stolen in, (laughs) like then we have this contrast with this scene with Osamu when they go to the parking lot and they actually steal, you know, a Chanel bag out of the back of, yeah. You like, breaks a window of someone's car right yeah Yeah. exactly so i think there's tensions around that and i'm not necessarily like um you know i'm i'm not weighing in on you know whether or not there's actually a really clear-cut difference there um but then we see that one of the shops that they, the kids had been stealing from goes bankrupt, right? And so right, there right. are these moments where, like, well, morality wait, does it looms, go bankrupt? I don't think it goes Well, that's bankrupt. what Shota is worried about. You don't think He's so? He's worried it's just about closed that. down for the day. And, it says it's like... And that's what morning. he assumes. Yes, yes, that's what he assumes, yeah. I think. Yeah, that's what because, he assumes, right? And that's what he assumes making sense of this thing from his... Um, caretakers right 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 these questions right so um and then the next scene they're in some other store and yuri he tells yuri not to steal anything to to stay outside while he goes in and steals something Mm -hmm. and then she disobeys him comes in steals something and to protect her he gets himself caught, right? Right. right. Um, and so these moments of like sacrifice are um, interesting, kind of yeah, moral moments, right? That the that the film gestures towards. But I think overwhelmingly, it's really much more interested in like yeah, these everyday kind of ethical choices that that there is no good or evil in, right? Like there's, there's evil perhaps, but there's, there's not like necessarily a good thing that can be done. Right. And that's what I think is interesting about the film when they basically kidnap her. Right. Cause they're like, we don't want, she's hungry and cold on the street. They've noticed Mm -hmm. her the night before they invite her in to feed her. Um, But then even knowing that, she has these scars and burns on her. They are conflicted about, you know, whether or not to, to bring her back home. And then they start to do that. And then they hear domestic violence situation happening inside. And so then there's another moment where Nobuyo is, is kind of setting it, laying down like a, a moral principle, which is, that they haven't kidnapped Yuri because they aren't asking for ransom and they're not right. keeping her against her will, right? 
but we see that she often has these moments of of clarity around around morals, you know, whether we side with them or not, um, about whether these difficult decisions that they make, um, you know, are immoral, are immoral ultimately. And I think that's, that's what's powerful about the film is that there is no way to be moral in this world, right? Like living under poverty, um, they're starving and cold and, um, you know, that they have to make fucked up decisions left and right. Right. So it's much more interesting than that. I don't know if I fully agree because I think there are moments where they're showing where they are being almost objectively good to each other. Yeah. When they're expressing love, kindness, care, Mm -hmm. and like, in terms of, you know, late capitalist fiction showing a different way the world could exist and be organized. Mm-hmm. Um, so how does and I and I would be surprised if you disagreed with that. So how does that square with like ethic, like not being able to be moral? in these situations because i think like these ethical choices are about working with the compromises right like yeah and and so um yeah i think that you're right that there there are moments where people are good to each other in in the shabbata family and that um that that good is grounded in care um, but that doesn't mean that this kind of evil world that conditions all of their experiences is not everywhere lurking, right? Yes, um, yes for sure. And so it's a more kind of, I don't know, I just find it much more subtle. And that's what's great about the film, right? And then you ask- well, And that's why it's fucked up when someone says like, you, you know, this uh, this- this review says like, so you can overlook their transgressions because the transgressions are really legal. Like it's, it's all legal shit the, uh, by, by, by which I mean the law, the right. state that's determining that what they're doing is wrong because right. you can certainly say from that perspective, almost everything they do is quote unquote wrong. Right. I just happen to think that perspective, just like uh Nobuyo thinks that perspective is super fucked up and like, yeah, completely, completely incomplete. Right. Yeah. And if anything, yeah, the state comes in, defines what is good and evil, and in doing so produces much more evil, right? Um, If we're to be thinking it in these moral terms, right? Like, the right. state well, comes they return in. Yuri to her abusive family. Yeah, and so and we see we see a scene between her and her blood mom, where she's at that best you could categorize that scene as neglect, but clearly abusive as well. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. No, she's threatening to to 
physically hurt her, right? Because that's what uh, we find out that Yuri's association with uh, getting new clothes is, Mm. right? That to get new clothes is to be beaten. And so her mom says to her, her bio mom says to her, um, I'll get you some new clothes if you don't come near. Is just a great example of how the film is fucking with language, right? Um, yeah, yeah, it's, totally. It's a really heartbreaking scene. Um, but yeah, I think that um, the. Well, I have something if you're if you're struggling. Well, no, I'm just the question of sentimentality and morality mm-hmm. is interesting. And I think if anything, in terms of the question of like where morals come in at all, it is actually some kind of internal struggle that's happening in the film between sentimentality and nihilism. Say more. How how does that de- define morals in the movie? Well, so like when um, grandma dies or what Shota says to Yuri about her grandma who has gone to heaven, right? Shota says, you should forget her about her then, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, And so that's the kind of like, that's the nihilistic pole, (laughs) right? It's like, we just need to forget about her and move on. That's the only way to survive, right? And so I think um, as much as there are moments of sentimentality, I would say moments like that outweigh them um, where we're just looking at the kind of brutal conditions that these characters are having to survive in and how they've internalized that. Um, And that is more psychologically interesting to me. And I think it's, if we're thinking about it as this kind of pendulum between sentimentality and nihilism, I think the film isn't really interested in landing on either of them. Right. But kind of moving between these registers and I mean, it does um, land pretty fucking nihilistically. I don't think so. You don't No. Okay. Not at all. In fact, my reading was that it was potentially an over overly sentimental ending. Whoa. Yeah. Really? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Dude, let's just go to the end. Let's just talk okay. about the end. Sure. Okay. So so in what so to me, the reason I say it's nihilistic or at least fucking brutal is just they all are scattered. Nobuyo is in jail. Uh Osamu is living by himself. Mm-hmm. Hatsue's dead, uh, and the kids, you know, Shota's in the group home, and Yuri's back with her, with her abusive family, and Aki is like, goes back and looks at the shack to, like, see what's there, but we don't even really know what happened. They're all they're all blown to the wind, mm-hmm. and even there's even moments when Shota visits Osamu, and they like go fishing and. You know, he spends the night at his house, and Osamu, Osamu's like, "You know, I'm not, I'm not your dad. I can't be your dad anymore." Mm-hmm. Um, and there's there's a lot to un- unpack with that. But 
he even says like we can't like when he sends him on the bus he's like we can't see each other anymore yeah if if you take that stuff on surface on its face value it seems pretty but what happens after that then he goes on the bus and osamu chases after him shota doesn't look back until it's Mm -hmm. too late and what does he say dad he does he, de- you know what's amazing? I realized rewatching it, he doesn't even say it. He mouths mm. dad. He mouths dad. Which is almost like better because it's, it's, it's not even like fully inhabiting the word. It's just kind of like allowing the outline, like in a way, like a mouthed dad is like what this whole this whole family is like a mouthed family. Do you right. know what I mean? The, yeah. I guess so. Um, but I found that moment where he mouths dad and then the next scene with Yuri on the porch where I'm just going to say it. I've been the parent of a five-year-old. I was quite sure that she dies at the end of the film. Why? Because she's going to fall over the edge. Wait. Whoa. What? You didn't get that? I don't think that at what does he make the case for me? Okay. She well, Okay. Yeah. I mean, she gets onto this unstable thing to look down from a, from an apartment porch, right. Which we know to be over the first floor. And, but she's not on anything. She's just, she's just above. No, she has the... to step onto something which is unstable and then she's looking down and the second that she was doing that i as as someone <laughs> who has had a child that age wanted to go and grab her because it was not safe okay okay and then the okay. last the last shot we see her and she's going forward and no, i no dude yes. no 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 what? she's not she's she's not looking down she's looking out and we don't see her going forward. The reason that you're thinking I made a note of this is it's an in-breath. It cuts on her breathing in. And I think that's maybe why you felt the momentum of her falling. Mm-mm. I think it's uncertain. I, think- I think it's uncertain. I thought I found I... it to be a very difficult ending because because of the uncertainty of that. But she was wow. she was incredibly wow. physically unsafe. That whole but only thing like her where head was above Shota, the... the thing where she, no, no 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 she was above it like that. I know I I felt it in my body as a caretaker. <laughs> I need to go and grab this child. You need to go rewatch it fall. though because I don't I don't know that it's and, and the thing you're, with Shota you're asserting caretaker supremacy here. No, I'm telling no. You just said no in a definitive way. I'm just responding back. <laughs> Don't gaslight me though, man. Like I think it's an uncertain <laughs> ending. And the scene um, with Shota falling, jumping down was foreshadowing mm. this. I absolutely believe this. Wow. And I was really disturbed by the ending because you don't know what's going to happen to Yuri. And it could be that she literally just falls down right then and dies. Okay. And yeah. and this all came about because you're claiming this ending is overly sentimental. I am, as opposed to nihilism. So how does that factor in? Well, how does what? 
how does how how is it overly sentimental if your belief that like the moment after the ending of the movie is that the five year old child dies? Because it's it's uh it's not sentimental or nihilistic. It's capital T tragedy where where everyone's life is absolutely ruined and some people die. That that's my sense of the, of the ending. So each of these figures becomes this kind of point of caution then. And that was, that was what I was struggling with at the end. And, but and the fact you that Shota decides finally that, that Osamu is a dad, right? Yeah. Just yeah. when it's too late, that's exactly when he can articulate this and not even mm-hmm. quite. Right. Right. Um, it was giving in to this um, these words for family, right? Is giving into which um, the film is really great at, like kind of suspending you in this place of um, not quite familyness. Yeah. Um, there's different articulations of this, you know, the chosen family. Then it's criminalized and they're kidnappers, right? Um, so there's right. different ways of describing this, right? And so I did find it to be um, rather sentimental that in the end, we're given this moment from Shota where, yes, thank you. Like, finally, you call him dad. It's tragic and horrible because maybe you'll never see him again. But like, you're naming this thing. You're giving in to this thing that you have... Um, you know, kept us in this liminal space around. Okay, so you're saying it, it might almost be more powerful if Shota were to mouth Osamu's name, because that's less uh, that's less about this societal role mm-hmm. and more about him as a person, and that that would be more of a rejection of capital F family stuff. Yeah, I mean, I think if anything, what I really liked about the scene was how he didn't see that Osamu was running after him. Yeah. And then he turns around to look if Osamu has been running after him. And the miss there is very powerful. I think that it could have just been a very, just a completely visual scene. I didn't, I didn't see a need to bring in the word dad even though that is clearly mm-hmm. what the whole film is building toward is this moment where he right, finally right. acknowledges Osamu is his dad. Yeah. It did feel a little, yeah, there, I, I, I do have some, I, I have some issue with like this critics seem to have this, or a lot of critics seem to have an issue with like anything related to feeling Mm-hmm. being sentimental uh, which i just don't buy mm-hmm. but 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 i did feel a little bit of a false note the first time i watched that scene um okay so it's really that second to last scene that is giving you like overly sentimental vibes mm-hmm. okay and i'm looking this up now i'm like obsessed like what are people what on Reddit you, saying about what happens yeah, to Yuri at the end? What did you Google? Well, I just wrote what happens to Yuri at the end <laughs> of Shoplifters. <laughs> what are you um, seeing? Uh, let's see. 
I don't know. None of these are interesting. <laughs> I, I, I'm curious. I mean, I'll rewatch too, but I think I, I. The point is that yeah. if a mother or a caretaker or whatever, if some adult who is caring for her was around her, they would have made sure she wasn't doing that. You know, that right, she was doing something right. physically unsafe. And I was just, I feel hyper aware of when, you know, a kid is doing something unsafe like that. You know, it was, I felt like it totally. was really, it, and this is, this is part of the subtlety, but it, it was drawing me in through my own experiences of caretaking, right. About what, mm-hmm, what mm-hmm. this character needed in that moment. Yeah. And it was somebody yeah. to go and pick her up and say like, don't lean over the edge. <laughs> don't well, do and, that. But, but if that's what's happening, I feel like that's a direct rebuttal of the over sentimentality. That's like the brutal, like the people who would do that would be Nabuyo would, would have done that versus her blood mom who just completely it, it, it isn't even present on that little porch to notice what's happening. Yeah. I mean, I'm not really, that's like what I was saying is like, I don't think it's sentimental or nihilistic. I think it's a tragedy. I'm going to keep yeah. saying that. Like, I don't think that the end is sentimental. I think it has sentimentality, a tinge of sentimentality. Okay. Okay. And, and I don't think that scene with her is that right. But it is playing with her. If there is some some element of that, it's just kind of playing with the trope of the child's innocence, right? That she's singing this this mm-hmm. beautiful kind of nursery rhyme song, right? And then does you know is caring for herself clearly when she needs somebody to be there, and that she doesn't have a sense of her own physical safety or what what is and isn't safe around her right and that those are all very visceral features of that scene for me okay if that makes sense well it does make sense i think you mentioning tragedy is a good segue into us talking about genre yeah yeah movie here's a couple of quotes from the critics okay uh this one mentions tragedy and horror David Sims in The Atlantic said, the film never leans into pure horror or tragedy, but it has elements of both in its denouement. Mm-hmm. Then Manola Dargis, 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 do you know how to say her last name? I don't know how. Mm-mm. Yeah. But in her, that review that I mentioned earlier, we've got mystery, we've got thriller, and we've got comedy. Mm-hmm. She says, in most movies, a kidnapped child is enough to get the story up and jumping. Yuri's presence has a far more subtle effect on the narrative and the family, which itself suggests that there's more to it than quirks and offbeat personalities. Mm -hmm. Several months after Yuri arrives, her disappearance hits the news. Osamu and the rest of the family agree that it certainly looks bad. Their understatement drifting into grim comedy. Yeah. So I totally agree there. Um, Watching it with my partner, she was like way more on edge than I was the whole mm. time of just like what is going to happen. Something is awry, and I think rightly she was she was on edge, yeah. you know. And but it is interesting because he Karita reveal like unveils it so slowly mm-hmm. and is so just like up with the characters. Even the stuff with Yuri, like so often the camera's like at her face. We're not like looking down at her. And I think also like trusting 
the kind of nobility, not the nobility of children, that's too much, but like the, the, for kids to know what they want, like mm. when the, um, the interview, the like state agent asks Shota, like if he wants to find his old parents and he's like, no, like I wouldn't even remember, I don't even remember anything from then. And I think like trusting kids on a certain level that mm-hmm. they actually know what they think and want i think is a thing that's not really done and i think it's something that this movie does kind of do absolutely and yeah and then in this review from a site called real views uh they say the movie uses a domestic drama to illustrate larger and more compelling concerns about society in general and so my question is like is this a home genre home i keep saying home genre is home this a drama. home drama or a domestic? Like, we call it a domestic drama, right? Yeah, like a yeah. domestic drama. But it's it was also interesting for Karita uh, in that deadline piece. He was just like a home jo- drama, which is a which is a drama that happens in the home. And so we we like talk about genre, you know, and like what what even is genre? And he and it's like this one's pretty simple. It's just like a setting and relationships of people you that know? happen in it. Yeah, yeah, and. But he's got this societal eye, and I don't think all domestic dramas, maybe implicitly you could make some argument that they have something to say about society, but I think a lot of them are just like individualistic in the sense that the family is the individual. They're like about Mm. that one family, not, you know, but you can extrapolate the fuck out of this movie, Mm. you know the Japanese recession, just general wealth disparity. It certainly rings true in America. Totally. Um, Yeah. The, there's no illusion that the domestic is separate. Right. And I think that's often the shortcoming of a domestic drama, but also often, you know, a really interesting dimension of a domestic drama is the way in which it kind of punctures that. Um, kind of illusion of a you know of a bubble like that that any home or family kind of has that has that separate separability right yeah um so yeah i was thinking about that i mean what's really good about it in terms of being a domestic drama is the way that it is then very much concerned with reproductive labor right and how like most scenes are about how are we going to get fed? Do we have shampoo? Mm-hmm. You know, get out of the bathtub because, you know, somebody else needs to get into it while the water's still hot. Like all of these kinds of really yeah. interesting um, details uh, and in foregrounding that labor element, you know, I think it, it forces this connection between this group and um, whatever's happening outside of the shack. Although a lot of it really is contained within the shack or these um, kind of sites of circulation, right? Like where they go and kind of uh, appropriate things to bring back. Um, Right. Right. So I think that, yeah, I think it's, I think it's really interesting um, how many layers of genre are here, right? Like, I, I absolutely believe this is a comedy at certain moments. Mm-hmm. I absolutely believe that this is, that the film ends as a tragedy, 
right? Yeah. But does that mean it is a tragedy? I don't. I don't think that's necessarily the case. Um, it does kind of structurally, in terms of it, its plot, operate as like a low key mystery, too, right? And then there's kind of thriller moments, or you know, things like that, where like. They're literally running from, you know, like not trying not to get caught. Right. So right. I, I really think that's a, a strength of the film is that it, it won't quite be one thing or the other. Which is interesting because I feel like there is a way in which you could watch this movie and see it as very cohesive genre wise. Mm. Like you and I were both talking about like struggling with like because we knew because we're like th- this is this was a, a last minute plug in for us to like right. uh, oh i think i think <laughs> i should say that we got it wrong last episode unless i've edited it out that we're not talking about a serious man this week i did tease that last week i know so we're like you know plugging some things in i'm super happy to be talking about this movie but it definitely fit the season theme of family mhm more immediately than it seemed to fit our general our genre, genre question discussion because it yeah. feels like oh a family drama like it, it right. really feels of a part so i think it's really fascinating and, and i think that's actually kind of what karita does is like he shows these everyday situations shows these families and then there's all this messiness underneath mm. the surface yeah and that's the same with the genre of the movie I completely agree. And I think the more interesting genre question is then about the genres of family, right? Like, yes, the, yes the, that it's much more um, focused on these different kinds of stories that we tell about the family, right? And how they intermingle. And um, yeah, I think that that's, that's the bigger genre question for me with it. I'm, I'm fine to call this whatever it is. And a domestic drama is fine with me. But what is it saying about the family, right? Is it, is it, is it telling us that family is who we choose? Is, it, um, is this moment at the end where at last he's acknowledged his dad, even not to his face, is it a kind of affirmation of a different kind of family? Um, mm-hmm. I found that to be absolutely fascinating. And one of the things I was thinking about, um, I mean, I think what makes his family is, is, is a great question to ask of the film. Um, but ultimately that's kind of, leading us to want this to be a redefinition of the family, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, And I don't know if that's what I think this movie is doing. (laughs) Um, Right. Well, I think the way I wonder if we could... No, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I think the way in which it might be overly sentimental is if you take some of those interview moments from Nobuyo uncritically Mm -hmm. where she's just like oh is giving birth what makes a mother implying that like no it's not it's the love you give for someone sure you know it's or when she's like hugging 
Yuri so tightly, which I found like very moving and just tender. And she's telling her like, if they love you, they do this, you know, they hold you tight as opposed to like beat you or burn you. But if we were to just take that as like, oh, this movie is saying, um, this movie is saying that it's the love you give someone. It's the amount of time. It's the quality of the connection that that's what makes a family. Then we're not taking into account the fact that like, well, at the end, Osamu still kind of lets the state determine his relationship with Shota. Like they could keep seeing each other. He right. could find a way for that to happen, you know? And it's like, right. it, it's not just the state keeps this from happening. It's almost like the quality of connection that people are willing to fight for almost determines mm. a family or something. But but I feel like I interrupted you. What were you going to say? No, I'm, I'm glad you said that before I was going to drop this, but I think that the, a different version of this film and maybe this version of the film, <laughs> I don't know. I'm, uh-huh. It's something I'm wondering about is, is this a, is this family abolitionist, right? Is it sure, about sure. how like, you know, let's not call this fucking family. Let's call this something else. Let's call this a care commune, which is what I was often thinking about. Um, mm-hmm. Let's not even take this language from the state um, about what defines family and what doesn't and what's criminal and what isn't, right? Like, right. let's create a new language for it. And I think that that's one of the things that I really love about the children's unwillingness to call their caretakers um, mom or dad, right? Um, Because there's a certain way in which when that finally happens in the end, I don't know, I felt like the it was a step back from what I found really revolutionary about the film. Sure. In the first you know most of the first well most of the film right basically the last two scenes um right and uh the last act is just so interesting where you are seeing that they okay the state has intervened and yet still these caretakers are insisting upon this relationship of care um even if that means basically you know self-sacrifice because i think that the decision not to be in um, Shota's life for Osamu is uh, it is self-sacrifice that he immediately regrets. Right. But, but he is, he has bought this narrative from the state that he's not good for Shota, right. That he should not be in Shota's life. And he does let the state define this for him. Um, But then he doesn't, right. He runs after the bus and, um, I think that that's a, that's a real challenge of the film. I, I think not that I want to say like, Oh, it could end in a different way, but I think what's, what's more interesting about it than the way in which it redefines the family as something that you choose. And that's not biologically or legally um, defined. Right. Um, is the way that it kind of seeks to abandon that framework altogether. And, Mm-hmm. look more towards 
yeah, these care practices, like how many of these beautiful fucking scenes are about food? Like food is where everything like begins and ends. It's just about food, right? Like sharing food with people and taking care of them, making sure that they're clean and that they aren't hungry. Right. And starting there and not worrying ourselves about what we call this, you know, I found that to be so beautiful about this film and like these much quieter moments. Um, And then there's this desire to, to name it something, right. That I almost feel like, um, that's the kind of enemy in the, in the film as much as the state mm-hmm. is like needing to call this anything, including family, right? Like um, when so much of it is just kind of defiant of language that. Yeah. So that you're, shit you, I loved. <laughs> this is, this is making me lead directly into the Aki scene with Mr. Four mm-hmm. so, because another way um, that they express genuine care for each other is through touch. Mm-hmm. And and then it gets more complicated with this sort of like sex work that Aki's doing mm-hmm. because she, okay, so this actually brings us back. This was the second of my frustrating misreads mm. in the Chicago Reader review. Mm-hmm. Uh, the reviewer says, Aki cuddles with one of her customers at the peep show after she intuits that he's having a bad day. We're all good so far in my mind. Then it says her behavior seems altruistic until she interrupts the cuddling session because the man has paid for only so many minutes of intimacy. That doesn't even take into account anything that happens in that fucking scene. I think it seems so 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 the man mr four is the name of the man mm-hmm. he is he they enter the chat room where he's allowed to talk he's not saying shit she's just talking to him while his head is in her lap then she discovers his like bruised hand where without saying anything she asks him questions and he and finds out that he's been hitting himself mm-hmm. and then then the time ends and he's and mute she, too Let's just say. Well, that's what I was wondering because you talked about like uh things that transcend words. I was like, yeah. is he mute or is he just so um uh, overwhelmed? Mm. Can he just not express it's it's almost like the inverse of Shota mouthing dad but not actually saying anything right mr four is like uttering sound but not forming a word right in response to her hugging him after this session which happens after the session god that fucking mystery just bothered me so much because it's like way more interesting and complicated that she actually wants to continue the care of the sex work she's doing absolutely beyond getting paid for it. That's like, that troubles the capitalism of it all way more than just like, and wow, she's so, she's so, uh, harsh. She, the time's up and she just leaves. It's like that. No. Yeah. It spills over from the level of transaction. Right. And right. Right. And, um, yeah, no, I found that to be a very compelling scene also. And just shame on this reviewer. I mean, that is a straight up 
we we may have some um disagreement about, about like what i perceive as the the indeterminacy of the last scene with yuri yeah right yeah but that's just a straight up misread it's, it's oh totally sloppy um yeah i i don't like and i will say out of pettiness you'll know you, you know close listeners will notice i have named all of the other reviewers i've quoted and intentionally not named that reviewer so <laughs> you why uh, are you doing that to protect yourself because it's a local no no just not to give him any 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 shine for even mm. even saying anything you don't you okay. don't even get the fucking but we're mentioning me the publication this. we're mentioning the publication so this is not plagiarism you can look it, it up in the chicago yeah. reader yeah <laughs> um but okay so so i wanted to contrast that aki moment with right. I thought there was I thought this postcoital scene between mm. Nobuyo and Osamu mm-hmm. was genuinely fucking sexy. I was like mm. I was like this is kind of hot. I mean, she's doing a lot of work. Nobuyo is th- that actress is is the MVP of the movie to me. She carries so much of the weight of the like she message of this. She is amazing. She's yeah, incredible. amazing. She has to do so many things at once. Um, yes, yes. And yeah, I lo- love the first scene where she doesn't she doesn't even want to be in the same physical room as Yuri and and is withholding and cold, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And then it's it's that moment where Osamu, um, they're walking. She insists that they return her, right? Right, right. And. You can you can just see how much she's having to, you know, guard herself against what she yeah. knows is going to happen with this young girl, right? Um, really subtle, beautiful, beautiful acting. And I thought it was in the in the sex scene. Mm-hmm. It, I mean, it's not actually it's a postcoital. It's a postcoital scene. scene. He we see her but butt. Like we see her butt. We see his butt. Yes. We a lot of butts. And and Osamu is like so funny in this. He's mm-hmm. just like proud of himself that he like made her come. See, it was, mm-hmm. was how I read it. I don't yeah. think he made her come. He could come. I oh, interesting. She I, said I she could barely work up a sweat, and that's why she wants him to do a second. Round. Okay, okay. That's that's real. I thought for a I second she was satisfied. just like <laughs> proud that he could still make her come. But you're right. You're right. That's a better. I like that. Is yeah. the because it's established a few scenes before with Aki that basically they don't have a sexual relationship. Right? Well, that's what I thought was interesting because the way that they that Aki frames that conversation with Osamu, she they're talking about like um, what connects about them. What connects them? Right. And Osamu, the fucking you find by finding out later that Osamu and Nobuyo killed her Mm ex-husband like that is the thing that the these state interviewers are implying uh connects them they 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 talk they one of them even says to aki that like um like that's what connects them the the idea so so like the things that could connect people in this in this movie we have blood. Mm-hmm. We have money. 
right. the way that they're trying to convince Ak- the, these these state agents are trying to convince Aki was the only thing between her and the grandma. And we already know that's what she thinks, right? Because that's what she initially says connects them. She says money in that scene with Osamu. Well, that's what she's like worried. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Aki thinks that what connects Osamu and Nabuyo, the mom and dad, is money. money. Right. Right. But it turns out murder also connects them. It Mm -hmm. turns out. but And because, because Osamu like touches his crotch and he's like, this does do you think this connects us you know and he's like he's like we don't need this you know i don't need this anymore and i was mm-hmm. pleased to that 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 became not the case so like right it, it's these different it's not anti-sex right no no, no which no. is a big i mean in japanese culture that that stuff is pretty interesting um about you know sex taboo and whatnot right um so I like that it it's sided with sex. <laughs> it's like, no, they also have, sure. have sexuality. And it is very much about how they never have any fucking time or space together right, to have right, sex. Right, right, right. And even in that case, like they have to quickly, you know, clothe themselves because the kids are coming back, right? That was um, the funniest moment to me. I loved that moment. When, when he is just like, the kids have come home. He's able to put like his underwear on. And that's not weird in the house for him to just be in his underwear because whatever, it's hot or no. whatever. And she's like still getting dressed and he's just like, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> he's just like scrambling. Yeah. That was just a, that was the most pure comedy moment for me. I loved that moment. Yeah. 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 So, okay. There's things that connect us. Blood, money, food. Food, sex, murder, like sex. shared experiences. But in that um, scene, Osamu says he points to his heart, right? And says that right. that's what connects them, right? right. And it's right. not the Love. crotch, it's the heart, right? Yeah. Classic Sentimental Osamu. moment. <laughs> how, is that, how is that sentimental? That, wh- what about that? I don't think sentimental is a bad thing. Why does it, why okay. do we have to buy into this bullshit where it's bad to be sentimental? I mean, okay, whatever. Okay. I was it was that. a it was a beautiful little moment, you know. Yes, totally, totally, totally. Or, you know, um, there is still yeah. love in that the love that he, you know, how he expresses this bodily, you know, pointing to his heart as opposed to his crotch is, mm-hmm. um, you know, that that's where the fidelity comes from between them is lovely. I don't know, and it's yes, not to yes. be anti-sex either, which I think. That was a little bit of my concern in that scene, like, ooh, but then, no, we still see that, like, when there's an opportunity for them to actually experience that with each other, that they do it, but they are completely deprived of those opportunities. They're extremely rare, and um, I really felt that. that. I really, really felt that. (laughs) Sure. I I think that moment would... (laughs) That's funny. I think that moment would feel less... Um, anti-sex, less potentially anti-sex to me if the actress who played Nobuyo was as old as, I think his name's Lily Frankie, the Osamu actor. Osamu. Because that was, a, mm-hmm. that was a thing, like they're, they're separated by I mean, just to the just visually, they're separated by decades, the, the age between 
these people. Yeah, I know? found her age very interesting in its ambiguity because there's that scene with right? Hatsue where she's saying, like, you know, you're a beautiful young woman, basically. Right? Like, she's basically um, just as beautiful and vibrant as Aki. But yeah, yeah, they're like, if I really look close, you're like, you don't have to look that close. This woman's hot. No, she's gorgeous. And um, I think that speaks to her acting that it that it never really comes off as weird between her. You like have this moment when you clock it. You're like, that dude's a lot older than her. But their connection is so fucking spot on and Mm -hmm. and and feels so genuine that, right, that but that's a great her. moment of um, pointing us to uh, giving us a little clue. Something's a little off here, right? And I love how mm-hmm, throughout mm-hmm. the film, there's there's just some stuff that feels off, right? Where you're like, they don't have sex, and they kind of act like they're married, but maybe they're even like brother and sister, or like cousins, or what quite right. is this relationship and and so I found that to be really um, an interesting element, at least in the first act between those two characters, is that you're kind of trying to place what their what their history is. Um, and then you kind of decide in the second act that it's, oh, that's kind of a sexless yet loving partner mm-hmm. life partnership. Right, which if they were both older, that wouldn't feel as like weird to me. Like no. that would be just kind of funny if it was just like we don't need that. That wouldn't feel like an- that's what I was saying about not being. I see potentially not being anti-sex, but I do like that they did have sex. I do too. Um, and then, then we find this bond of criminality that comes out in third act. Right, that's mm-hmm, very. Mm-hmm. It's an interesting arc just between them. Um. And I want to just bring it back to like this question of like genres of family, genres of relationship, and how the ambiguity is is very like politicized, you know, in interesting ways um, throughout. Right? Um, that as criminals, like that is fundamentally their relationship as criminals, right? Um, yeah. And so, all these other layers that come up on top of that um, are in some ways like refusing the state legality criminalization yes. as ways of defining them. Right. Um, and well, those are the things we encounter first. Those are the things we encounter first. Yes. Yes. Yeah. We, yeah. The, right? we see it differently than the state does. We see it almost mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. how they see it. Like, what feels mm-hmm. quote unquote realer. Mm-hmm. Okay. So this, there was a thing I noticed on rewatching the last act when the okay. like, news, when the journalist, the TV journalist says what the people pretending to be her family were doing in this house remains a mystery. And it's like, yes. it, that to <laughs> me, like, like, frames this idea of like like it's not a mystery to us and in fact it wasn't that the things they were doing weren't they weren't like cooking crack they weren't like planning bank heists they were just slurping noodles Mm -hmm. you know and like and Mm -hmm. and and so it's like it's but it's portrayed as this like dark you know mysterious criminal thing oh 
you know, the yeah. grandma's body was buried underneath the floorboards. And mm-hmm. it's like, they're just trying to e- even, and and this goes into, you know, those those interview scenes with Nabuyo are so key to the whole thing when the, I don't even know what you would call these people. I just keep calling them state agents. But the woman is saying- Yeah, they're state agents. Yeah. Yeah. She's like, She's like, uh, what does she say? Like, corpse disposal has a high, uh, you know, there's a big penalty for that. Like, and and right. Nabuyo is like, I didn't throw her away. I found someone else threw right. her away. I found her, and I know. Oh, and this this idea that they buried her under the floor. In a way, it's like, I mean, yeah, they for survival they have to pretend that there were only ever five of them as a family, but she is, Mm -hmm. you know, beneath them. She talks, she talks earlier in the movie about like, I couldn't quite wrap my head around the um, insurance thing, but she talks about not wanting to die a lonely death. And she doesn't, she she dies in her sleep. They comb her hair, uh, the hair of her body after it's gone. Right. It's Yeah. Then we see there's this great moment. Um, the scene or the scene after that where um, Osamu and Nobuyu, um are she like goes and she finds um, Hatsue's uh, dentures, right? And she's like, I knew that she would hide money with the dentures and they have the money and they're yeah, counting the yeah. money. And we're going, oh, grandma, you know, or something like this. Like, I thought, but then we see Shota watching them, trying to make sense of this, right? And these moments uh, like that are very interesting where um, we get to be another person in the room, basically. Like, I didn't find my, I, I saw Shota's skepticism or kind of being sketched out by, Mm-hmm. the celebration mm-hmm. of this discovering this money right. um the kind of anxiety that he and also aki feel about it you know just being about money right. um and then yeah it, it just a beautiful scene in which you feel kind of invited to be a person in that room with your own sense of you know they loved they loved quote unquote grandma. Mm-hmm. They did right by her. Yes. At the same time, they're in this fucked up world where yeah. pretty much within a few hours, they're having to scavenge the the hut for money and look and um you know, it does seem significant that this is a secret that grandma had, right? But mm-hmm, mm-hmm was probably benefiting all of them. I think it's telling that totally. I mean, I think Shota and Aki are, you know, Aki works and and earns money, but there's, but there's moments with grandma early on where grandma's like, Oh, she doesn't have to contribute. And I wasn't sure why that is, but it's like, sure. It's easy for Shota and whoever else to judge the mom and dad for, 
being happy about this money, but they're the ones who most have to deal. They're not like, oh, we're fucking rich. They're the ones who have to deal with the reality of the money every day. So they're just grateful to have it, mm-hmm. have the relief. A little mm-hmm. And there is no way to be moral in this situation, right? In these ways. Like, I think that that just to loop it back to that conversation. I mean, when you're that desperate, what does being a quote good person look like? Right. And, um, and it means, you know, honoring this old woman and her death, not exploiting her. Right. And we just kind of have to trust that that's where these characters are coming from. And I love that scene. You're right to point it out of somebody else got rid of her and I found her right in the sense that like all of these characters have been dispossessed. Right. Mm -hmm. It was very interesting. Like there's the question of shoplifting, which extends into kidnapping Right. Which is like taking from. And then there's also this issue of, you know, like surplus population and dispossession and being neglected and marginalized and like basically left to die on the streets. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and that these characters are caught between um, between these things and just have to fucking do their best. Right. And it, I guess that's what I was trying to say earlier about morals. It's like, it doesn't even fucking matter, you know, like, yeah, let's, yeah. I guess that's just like what with I'm the family, like, let's set those things aside. Let's not even bring those things in. Let's just think about how these people survive and we don't need to name that or, or um, think categorically about this. Right. Um, it is, it is very much oriented towards just surviving and survival you know yeah so one of the things i wanted to talk about with this film is just how wonderful a retort it is to current panic over grooming (laughs) child grooming and um i found i mean it wasn't at all um, made in this context, right? But mm-hmm, mm-hmm. just this point that you're making about how interested it is in the, for lack of a better word, agency or deprivation of agency of children. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really wonderful. And that was one of the things I was thinking about in that last scene between Osamu, Osamu and um, Shota in in his bed in his his little apartment is how potentially inappropriate and criminalized their relationship is becoming like if he's not his dad yeah this is weird to sleep in the same bed with this kid it's weird to sleep in the same bed right and so some of the some of what i found interesting about like the language of family is how it can be used to protect them right um mm, yeah if that makes sense right um as a totally. kind of shield against all of these judgments and um co- you know like legal consequences that they face for having this very non-conformist care commune i'm going to keep 
calling it that because I, I really I'm think that's what it is. It's a, it's a little commune in a shack, you know. I, I'm fine with repurposing the word family because I don't hate the word, but I I get care commune, and I'm also not a family abolitionist expert. Um, so maybe that's like a no no in in those circles. But well, I guess that's what I find interesting is like that that the link language of family the family form are useful to these characters not to necessarily although that is definitely the case with osamu he wants to be a dad because he wants to feel morally as a father right but more interesting is how um abiding by that language is yeah a form of protection and even kind of camouflage you know, to what yeah. is actually going on. Um, so I found that tension very, very generative, you know? And I guess yeah. that's why I felt disappointed by that last scene in the bus. I was like, oh, like, don't call him dad. Like, let's feel, totally. let's like continue to feel suspended in this, like, unnameability of what exactly this is you have with him. He's decided yeah. that you can't call him dad anymore. And, or no, that he isn't his dad anymore. He's never been called dad, mm-hmm. right? So there's these like missing, these like impasses, right? That are just like, oh, they're so beautiful and poignant. I totally and, agree. Um, I yeah. think I would say that my my way of reconciling that, that still, uh, that, because because I I agree if if it were me I w- I would not have included it but I'm putting a lot of interpretive weight on the fact that he mouths as opposed to says the word and so that allows it to be a little bit less you know <laughs> mawkishly sentimental mawkish um, no yeah. you're right you're right to really point that out too and um. Maybe you're not going to agree with me about the Yuri scene, but what'd you say? I said, I love how much you're saying I'm right in this. That that, that feels really good. Well, I need you to say that I'm right about something. You are right. I said when in the, in the sex scene, (laughs) in the sex scene, I said, you were, I said, you were right. I said, I said, I like that. I know. I know. But I need you to feel that I'm right about the last scene with Yuri. No, we're not going to get there. We're not going to. You're not going to agree. You feel that definitively that we know that she lives. Yes. In the last scene that she doesn't fall down. I think definitively she lives. uh, Well, whether, whether, (laughs) I mean, a little bit, but, but I think whether or not, I think the key to a hopeful um post movie reality is nobuyo getting out of jail and maybe them getting up to some shit and, mm. and grabbing yuri after that you think so I mean, I mean i don't know it's a stretch but that's what you're rooting for in the end you're definitely yeah, yeah. rooting for that and then you're like okay is this going to end with just like the state coming down on them and just like eviscerating everything that was beautiful and then What's cool about that is um, that that doesn't quite happen either. They're still then able to kind of, um, as authoritarian as the state is, right? It's like they're still able to kind of struggle towards having relationships. Um, 
sneaking around want. to see each other. What? If they want to. If they want to, right? Yeah, the, the, even they're able if they're to kind of struggle toward that, if they want to, if they want to, or if they feel that they can, right? Which mm-hmm. is, I think, the Osamu thing, right? That he obviously wants to be Shota's dad. He wants that so badly, and he sacrifices that because he thinks it's better for his son, right? That's how he sees it. Yeah. Yes. 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 Totally. Right. Did you so, believe? I, I found in the bed mm. when he said that. Um, when Shota asked him, he's kind of confirming the story from the state agents. He's like, "Were you guys really going to leave me in the hospital?" And there's this big pause, and Osamu says, "Yeah, that's what we were doing." And then he says, "I'm sorry." Did you bot? Like, do you think that's a thing he said intentionally to Shota to kind of make this separation easier? Or do you think they really were planning I did on feel that. cutting out? I did feel that because you remember what they said, which is coming back to the food thing. They said that he's going to be able to eat in the hospital. That's what they tell Yuri. Right. Right. right? That he's so going to be able to eat in the hospital. So they'll they get him were. later. Right. Yeah. I, that's what I hope. I, I hope and, that he's, yeah. I don't think, I think that they're just kind of figuring out one thing after the other, that they're going to go on the run. They're going to go back and they're going to feel, figure out how to kidnap him yes. again, yes. Yes. you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was just kind of one foot in front of the other. First, they needed to get themselves out of the shack. Right. Totally. And yeah. hide Yuri. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. To protect but, her. But instead, um, I felt like these state agents were projecting on the. Be, because I actually thought uh, the whole movie, Afterlife, is structured around interviews and a lot of the. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of the interview subjects in Afterlife were not actors, were like part of a it grew out of a documentary project and they were like subjects in that documentary project. But I thought it Mm -hmm. was really cool formally that this third act is kind of, it's rooted in these very clinical interviews between the representatives of the state and the different members of the family. And because Mm -hmm. one, it showed that these people are only seen as like interview subjects to them. They're not family members. They're mm-hmm. barely even people. They're just like j- j- lemons they're squeezing for information. Then I also thought it was interesting the tactics they used to isolate them from each other, which were basically like that when they're talking to Aki, they're implying that the only connection that that, that her grandma had to her was money. Um, right. They're implying that that Osamu and everything's connection. Yeah, they flatten everything, right. And and that the mom and dad's connection is just this murder. They you know, everything is is made is made so black and white. Like we don't know if Aki's blood parents knew the situation. I do like, I will say right now, I like your interpretation that yeah. they were 
you know, kind of confirming, pa- passively confirming the story with Hatsue. But mm-hmm. we don't know for sure if that's what they're doing. But these state agents mm-hmm. are just like, so this is the deal. That's who that person is. Their only motive was this. Now, here are your options. Yep. Okay. Fuck the state. Fuck the state. And I feel vindicated. There is a long Reddit. Oh my God. Are you looking at Yuri stuff? About Yuri. Here's one I'm going to read for you. So if you've been listening and you've been, and you've noticed Madeline being checked out, it's because she's fucking. Oh, fuck you. (laughs) Okay. Go ahead. Go ahead. I want to hear it. Okay. Okay. This is from you, Jav. I'm going to name the author because I appreciate. Okay. Love it. Love it. Um, The final scene in the movie shows Juri or Lynn or Yuri trying to bond with her mother, touching her scar like she did with Nobuyu in the bath and showing her a little, showing her a marble like she did with Shota only to get yelled at and told to go away. Then she is seen playing with marbles and singing the song that Nobuyu used to sing. I didn't realize that. Afterwards, she gets up to the railing, and in the exact moment before the screen goes to black, she lifts herself a couple of inches. Could this mean she intends to jump the railing? We know she used to believe her mom was good because she bought her clothes, but after living with a, quote, real family, which she clearly misses, and let's not even go there, she probably doesn't feel that way anymore. Also, she saw her brother jump from a bridge to escape a situation, which prompted a complete change in her life. Maybe she wasn't trying to kill herself, but try to trying to replicate what Shota did by jumping the bridge. You know what? All right. I, I fuck with that. But, but what I'm I not think saying it's there? one way or the other. I'm saying it's right, ambiguous. Right. I think it's ambiguous. I, I, I and I knew it was an ambiguous ending because I loved that it cut on an in breath for her. It's before. No, that's so exhale. interesting. That the, that's I what totally you agree. saw. Well, but but I think I think the key, the thing that makes that more believable to me is it mm-hmm. says she raises herself a couple inches. Like yeah. the way you were describing it, I thought you were saying that she was like up and and like almost like. Full like from the to- from the waist up over no. the railing. No, but I know what you're saying. Yeah, it, but but I, yes, I she's on her tiptoes. Else. She's on her tiptoes, and we see that we see that yes. she goes on her tiptoes, and that's, that she's on, okay. on something that's rickety. And even so, if we're like, oh, she definitely dies in the end. We can even wonder why did did she think she was going to die? Wasn't an accident? Did right. she think that? she was going to do like what Shota did, which is then be taken into a hospital, mm-hmm, right. Mm-hmm. And quote rescued again. Wait, yeah. right. There's, there's a few things to, to spin out of that ambiguity, like not just death or non death. Right? Like, totally, totally. Well, and the, the beauty of it too. I mean, talk about like dignifying these kids, the whole movie ends on the face of a five-year-old i know you would you know you would uh, so few american movies would be like you know in a movie with fucking whoever you know you end your movie with the the great 
you know, adult actor, not with just like the almost like impossible to read expression of a five-year-old and like how fucking amazing that it just gives us that it's like it's in her hands yeah we you know you whatever you're reading that she's thinking is at least partially a projection of you um yeah you know what i didn't think we were gonna get there you got me. We fucking we we see okay, it good. In the same way. Good. I, yeah. Because I I do think it it's a there's a visceralness to it where I was not like my immediate thought was yeah. oh god she died, and then it took me a while. I rewatched the last scene and I was like, I'm still very certain that that's what happened, but I could. But you rewatched it just the last while scene. I was talking or on our pee break? No, 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 no. Yesterday. Oh, yesterday. Okay, it was okay, just, okay. you know, the like last three minutes that I was yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I had to do a check on myself, though, because it was like, it just devastated me. And then I was like, mm-hmm. am I jumping to this conclusion? Because right, I felt right, right. certain. Mm-hmm. And then what I noticed this the second time was that it's not quite clear, but I believe it was implied. Right. And so that was that's the only case I'm really making is that, yeah, that there is that uncertainty and that you're left wondering. But, yeah, um, but the yes, the part of me that has experiential stuff around taking care like there's my kid's best friend constantly. Um, at that age would get into these situations where she'd stand on a chair and fall down and then like have a big, I mean, (laughs) she had black eyes and stuff like that was like, she was just not um, a safety oriented child. And so I think (laughs) it was like uh, caretaking for her, especially much more than my own kid um, was really anxiety inducing all the time. I I couldn't, I couldn't not be watching her, you know? And so the scene began in a scenario where I was like, I don't think that this kid should be in this physical location alone. Right. 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 Totally. Yeah. It already felt really dangerous, but I appreciated how you could tell that it wasn't the first, it wasn't a ground floor, but you couldn't quite tell anything beyond that. Is this like the 10th right. floor? Is it the well, second floor? But it was eye level with Osamu and Shota when they were walking by. I think it was the same. Mm. It was the same little patio area. So I didn't. I mean, I know what you're saying. I don't think it was that high, though. It wasn't the same patio area. It was above that. Yeah. What, what makes you say that? Because the patio area was covered. There was a cover to it when they discover her when they did well maybe it was just taken off for the weather or something maybe you're right but i was thinking it was on the second floor okay either either above that covered area okay but it's ambiguous enough that like okay yeah i I just want it to be ambiguous enough that it's hopeful that if she does climb over she doesn't automatically die yes you know maybe there's some like wood chips or something that she can fall into or something (laughs) no i know but i think yeah, I found that really. I mean, last week we were talking about the genre complexities of succession and how, like, it doesn't quite know its own politics and how that's really 
expressed through its genre ambiguity, right? Like whether, mm-hmm. whether it knows itself to be a comedy versus a drama or a tragedy, et cetera, et cetera. Like how much you're in on the joke with it, or if it, if it's in on its own joke, right. Mm-hmm. It's almost the inverse here where it's just um, this, I don't want to say indeterminacy in the way where it's like, oh, well, as the reader, I get to decide. And so like, therefore, blah, blah, blah. You know, I I don't, I don't think that that's how it's ending, but I think that you're left to, you're left to wonder and to sit with the wondering and that that's much more important than inviting you to derive your own conclusion. It's like anti-conclusion. Right. Well, and I think that that comes from, as opposed to succession, I think it comes from Karita's sureness. And I, I think mm-hmm. he knows what he's doing mm-hmm. with genre. And that's what makes so, so, so your label of succession as clusterfuck, mm-hmm. if it doesn't know what it's doing, and even meta clusterfuck, if it does, is, is like represents some like, lack of clarity on the creator's part, which we're just guessing about at, but I, I right. agree. And with Karita, I mean, I just fucking love uh, afterlife's incredible. I loved this movie. I, I can't wait to dig into the other stuff. I mean, and yeah. I just, I just really respect what he's doing. And I think he's a, fu- I mean, I think he's a master and like yeah. the, the confusion that comes here is intentional. Right. Confusion. It's, it's an intentional confusion and it's, if it's inviting you to do anything, it's not to devise, to devise, you know, what you think really happened. It's right. to force you, compel you to sit with that uncertainty, right? And so, however much I don't like that about the Shota scene, which I think you've helped me by saying, you know, it is still really ambiguous because he's mouthing it, you know. There's a way to generously read the ambiguity. And a lot of it is because, like, I don't speak the the native language of this film, and so uh-huh. I'm relying on subtitles, and right. and that does also flatten meaning, you know. In, in Right, like, maybe there's a version of dad that he says that's not exactly formal dad or something. Like, that would change it for sure. Yeah, but the fact that it's a whisper or a mouthing rather than saying out loud yeah. is really yeah. important. And mm-hmm. But I think that the scene with Yuri goes much further where the fact that you don't know what happens to her is more important than coming up with a hypothesis at all, right? And that's also right. what makes it I mean, it is a cautionary tale, of course, but it's not an overly kind of like um, polemical cautionary tale, right? Um, So I liked that about it. And I liked that I like the unnameability of family. So I want to shift away from this question of like, what makes a family and be like, what are some other questions to ask of this film? Because I, I, I see that and I see how this, that's how this was pitched. And I've read a number of reviews and that's kind of the central right. question of all of right. these is you think, you know what a family is, but this is really what <laughs> yeah. family is. But right, right. a lot of that is seeking to affirm what 
family is supposed to be. And that's, mm. I don't think the the purpose of this film in a lot of ways, right? I think a lot of it is about questioning and like leaving you in this kind of inquisitive mode, um, much more so. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, I think that one of the things it does is about that sort of social friction mm-hmm. uh, of the family in the context of the society is show that like whatever a family is that this society makes it at the least very very difficult to to have these moments of genuine care mm-hmm. for each other. I don't know. Yeah. What else what what else do you think factors in? Well, I think I mean it just it makes me think a lot about like debates over the idea in kind of like whatever queer revolutionary scenes um mm-hmm. of like the chosen family, right? Right. Right. And Something okay, so I've had some experiences where I've, I was in a quote unquote chosen family, and um, and then I was the only one who had a, a child like birthed a child from my body. Let's let's not even call it you know I, that I was a mom, but you know what? Like, in addition to the fact that I felt like I couldn't escape that category of mom with my kid. Um, that this idea of the maternal creeps up in these chosen family spaces mm-hmm. and very often is cast upon someone non-consensually <laughs> like and through, through social coercion you know sure and so i find i find that to be um a really important thread through the film to bring out that I think it's missed in in these questions of like, well, what is a real, because I, you know, there's that scene at the beach where um, Nubuyo is talking to Hatsue like about um, sometimes a family is like who you choose and that's Mm -hmm. better. Um, Right. And I don't think you're necessarily supposed to agree with her in that moment. You know, Mm. Um, I think you're supposed to still be. And I mean, who knows what that means when I say like supposed to be, I felt myself in that moment still with space to wonder about what we're even, if that's the case, then what are we even doing with this idea of the family anyways? Right. And I think that is fucking powerful and if anything, that is the most revolutionary element of this film is that you're left to be able, you're given that spaciousness and breathing room to wonder about um, what's the point of Shota calling Osamu dad? What does that even mean? Right? Right. Like, where does that get us anyways? Like, totally you know what i mean so well i think think that that's something that you know well i think what's cool about that is that it that's the fucking genius of karita asking the question rather than framing Mm -hmm. it as a sentence to say 
yes. what makes right. a family is very different than even the seemingly unique thing of blood does not make a family, love does. Right. You know what I mean? The, right. And and this movie is not the blood does not make a family, love does movie. It's the what makes a family movie. And who knows? I, I, I could believe Hirokazu Kurita had, doesn't know any fucking family abolition shit. But by asking a question, you know, it, mm-hmm. it opens up some space so that when family abolitionists are watching this movie, they can bring the kinds of interpretations that you're bringing to it or, or the kinds sure. of questions upon the question. I think it, you don't have to be a family abolitionist for the film or for the film to raise those questions though, you know, and, for and sure, it seems sure. more important that it doesn't, yeah, that it doesn't land on anything. Um, I found this really interesting about his family background. So I was reading on Wikipedia. Oh, shit. So yeah. his father was born in Taiwan. I'm going to read from Wikipedia just yeah. so you know, uh, his father is born in Taiwan before being conscripted into the Japanese military during World War II and detained in Siberia for three years after the end of the war. His paternal grandparents could not marry under Japanese law at the time as they had the same last name. So they eloped to Taiwan where they could, um, where they could marry, um, which was then under Japanese colonial rule. And he has cited this as a reason for his affinity toward Taiwan. So I, I was just so interested in like just the fact of his own existence um, is this struggle between state and family and colonial rule, um, which we see enacted in it appears throughout his filmography. <laughs> well, and <laughs> you know what you just that. did? You just made this episode a fucking Karina movie where at the end some some revelations about the family come up. Oh yeah. Amazing. Amazing. Well, that's good. I mean, I, I like that. I think I think um Yeah, I think the idea that this is a portrait of a chosen family is just way too easy. And that's all I'm that's all I want to say about it, you know. Yeah. It is because you know what? The whole idea of the chosen family takes for granted what choice means. And I think that's what's interesting about this film is that everyone's in a fucking bind. And what does choice even mean when you're in this bind, you know, right. when you're right. being cornered and you're in hiding from the state? I don't I don't feel like affirming the idea of choice in this situation. And in a lot of ways, it's about what what we do to survive um in in scenarios where you know choice is deprived and that consent isn't i mean consent is an issue, interesting issue that is how nuboyu like defines their relationship to yuri is that you know she's not here by force she's chosen to be here with us right um this is better than her other family right um and we're not asking for ransom right so i, I don't know i i think that I think it does a lot to what I noticed in all the criticism of the film. And by that, I just mean like the, the movie critics, like that was all the positive reviews um, seek to understand this movie. Exactly how you're saying like family isn't defined by blood or the state. 
it's defined by love, right? Right. And I also I think it doesn't even say that. Like I think you're meant to see how these characters love each other, but I want to return to food. It starts mm-hmm. with food. Is it Aki in the end? She doesn't know how much it's about love versus money, right? Right. Um, but when we start with food as the baseline, and that's what they say about Shota in the hospital, like he's going to be fed, right? Mm-hmm. When we think about food as the baseline of what defines whatever this is, care, right. the care commune, whatever, you know, that actually leaves us um, with a lot more wiggle room to ask these questions of choice and agency, excuse me, I'm choking on myself. Um, that I think, yeah, if anything, those are the most compelling elements of the, of the movie. So I guess I'm just trying to debunk this whole, like, this is a beautiful chosen family film. Yeah, 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 yeah. I love it. I I totally fuck with that interpretation. The only thing that I would add is I think, you know, in our Mm -hmm. texts before recording, you mentioned the concept of capitalist realism, you know, the idea that like Mm. capitalism is the only possibility. And I brought up that Ursula Le Guin quote where she says, we live in capitalism. Its power seems inescapable. So did the divine right of kings. Any human power can be resisted and changed by human beings. So I agree that there is this, that the movie is about the lack of choice in so many ways. But I would return to that Nobuyo interview where she says, I didn't throw her away. I found her. And I think, mm-hmm. you, you know, if someone throws someone away, the you're, there is choice that comes into that because she chose to find the grandma and not just walk by the grandma. So, like, yes, absolutely, right. these people are forced into this by in so many so much of the context is obliterating choice but i think mm-hmm. the thing that ennobles them is um is the little choices they make within the corners that they're forced into yeah absolutely yeah now hope kind of creeps in through those things but yeah. okay, so capitalist realism, you bring this up. This is this idea, which I'm sure we'll come back to a number of times, but that I get from we're getting from Mark Fisher. He's not the best person to have written on it, but he is the person who coined the concept. And it is essentially um well, we can ask whether it's a genre or not, but capitalist realism mm-hmm. is the idea of a representation that affirms um, that there is no alternative to capitalism, right? So um, this is really interesting in dystopian cinema, which Fisher was um, very interested in, right? Is whether we watch dystopias to, um, yeah, confirm that sense that there is no alternative that, that there is just capitalism and that that this is the way it's always going to be, always has been, always uh, will be, et cetera, et cetera, right? So I find, and this is an interesting question of like dystopia, utopia, which I want to bring in now. 
um, which um, like a, a really interesting utopian scholar named Tom Moylan comes up with this idea of the critical utopia and critical dystopia, which is a narrative that's using the genre of dystopia to break apart that sense of, of capitalist inevitability and capitalist realism. Right. So therefore like using, using dystopia to get at, you know, this revelation that other worlds are possible. Right. Um, right. Or the critical utopia, which essentially does the same thing. And Le Guin is a great example of, of somebody who went between critical dystopia and critical utopia, or in her words, an ambiguous utopia was how she often described this mm-hmm. um, with the Hennish trilogy and things like that. So like, or not the trilogy, the Hennish cycle, right? So anyways, like, I think that's an interesting question to ask of this film and and I don't want to say like this is a utopia or a dystopia, but the way it plays with utopia dystopia, um, and that was also something I was noticing and reading a lot of the reviews is a lot of reviewers were saying, oh, this is a profoundly hopeful film, and then right, some people right, were right. saying it's a really bleak film. And let's get away from nihilism versus sentimentality and like actually talk about what's at the heart of that distinction, at least for me which is utopia dystopia like to me they're incredibly utopian qualities of the film which come through again through food these moments where (laughs) they discover that yuri loves gluten cake yes then like the whole everything stops right so that yuri can have gluten cake and she's skinny and she needs to eat that food and you watch it and it's just like it's such a beautiful scene and then there are also these moments of impossibility, which are mis- more dystopian, right? Where Osamu says, like, I can't be your dad anymore, for instance, right? Mm-hmm. We can see these through a dystopian lens. So I was kind of interested in how it, it was complicating those registers. And um, yeah, I'll just leave it at that. But I was kind of wondering if you could comment on that. With a- Let's not talk about sentimentality. Let's talk about... Yeah like political hope, right? And possibility. Right. Well, I mean, I don't think, like you're saying, there it doesn't give us one or the other, which I think exactly to, to me as a person who believes the Mariam Kaba thing that hope is a discipline – you know, I, mm-hmm. I think of hope as a responsibility in order mm-hmm. to stay like if I'm staying alive I w- and I want the world to be different, then I just have to hope. And that doesn't mean I ignore the dystopian qualities of this movie, but it does mean that in whatever I choose to think about building in my own life the things I'm going to use as touchstones are the utopian qualities of this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and it also points to like, I forget which review I read that talked about like um, the, the things, the reviewer that, that stuck in their mind were the sort of like slice of life, sweet moments in the middle 
rather than just the the brutal moments of the end. And I think that's right. kind of nice because it's like I'm not bound by the by the chronology of the movie to honor the chronology mm-hmm. of the movie and be like, oh, the only thing is the end. It's like, fuck that. Yeah. I like the gluten cake. I like the cold noodles. I the like beach. the sex scene. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the cover the of the, the DVD beach. is the fucking beach. So it's like, I know. clearly yeah. there's, there's some stickiness to the sweetness in the middle of the movie. Absolutely. And I think, yeah. No, I think I think that's that's very right. And it's it's also kind of about like, well, the dystopia of the film is only it it's not only, but it's most perceptible through those utopian moments, right? And that's what's the the sense of longing you have for these people to be able to just live together and yeah and and be okay, right? Like mm-hmm. um is is really compelled by the dystopian qualities right um so i i I don't want to like force that genre wise onto onto the movie it's more just like a mode of interpretation right yeah or like a kind of tension that it's building i guess i yeah i guess i find it more useful to me than the sentimentality thing because i'm like yeah to me that's a really neutral category it's like Things are sentimental for good reasons and bad reasons and political yeah, reasons yeah. and depoliticizing reasons. And sometimes sentimentality is very useful and mm-hmm. sometimes it, it shuts down critical thought. And I don't think it does any of those things. I, I think if anything, it comes in at really important moments and kind of amplifies the problems that the, the film is trying to raise. But mm-hmm. um, then the nihilism kind of comes in to keep us from trying to solve it individually because it can't be right. Like even if somehow magically, like when she gets out of jail and things like that, they got together, it wouldn't actually resolve anything. (laughs) No, no. This is a hellscape that they're, that they're in, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and they've done their best to navigate it, but, um, but there is no resolution, you know? Yeah. But I don't right. think that therefore it is, you know, bending towards capitalist realism in the sense that it's it's telling it's telling us that this is how it has to be. And I think the moments where I felt most like, oh, another world is possible, like in a profound sense, were mostly yeah around food and <laughs> sleep, right? Yeah. Yeah, like totally. combing each other's hair, hygiene. It was, it's yeah. just so wonderful how every day and um, gendered <laughs> all of those all of those qualities are too. I think we should do our genre reveal. because i feel like i don't have an i don't have an answer yet so you're gonna have to go first okay i'll go first last time i went first so yeah that, that that's i i like it i like it um okay, okay. tell me what the I, reveal is 
I I don't have a <laughs> I don't have a a snappy t- title for this genre, but let's let's see. It's it's um it's it is open heart surgery with scissors dropped in the chest mm. cavity and mm. the and the, and the person's chest is sewn up so it is it is a so the scissors a are post, still there it's yeah it's a post op open heart surgery mm. with scissors stuck in the chest cavity my oh, thinking God. here okay. my thinking here I started from the idea of it being kind of inside out where like the middle of the movie is the stuff that I kind of most want to, from a pure like sentimental perspective, want to take with me. Okay. So it's, so we're opening mm-hmm. it up, right? The heart with all the, all the, you know, symbolic shit with a heart, but also we've got these little, these sharp little scissors and mm-hmm. who knows what damages it, it's going to do. Is it going to, is it going to cut the heart? Is it going to undo the whole surgery? Is it going to be directed somewhere else? It's a da- there's danger. And then all of that is under the surface. Is under is mm-hmm. under these these post-op scars. So post-op open heart surgery with scissors in the chest cavity. Jesus. Okay, well that's that's a lot to meet you at. <laughs> <laughs> you know that, that's that's perfectly setting you up for highly just descriptive tragedy you can just say tragedy okay well what i was gonna say is i think it's an anti-state child liberationist tragedy hell yeah that's great that's way more on point than me <laughs> no but even so i feel reluctant to call it a tragedy because i still want right I individually experienced it as tragedy. And what I like about it is that I do, I I love the way that you read the ending and what you saw was the in breath, you know? And so. Maybe it can be ambiguous tragedy. Or just like child liberationist anti-state movie. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) I don't want to call it because I want to, I want to think about what it opens up politically in the imagination without um, trapping it in tragedy. So. Yeah. Hey man. But I don't want to call it a tragic comedy either. Fuck that. Ew! No, 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 no. Yucky. So yeah, I'm gonna call it a child liberationist anti-state vision. Sto- vision. Yes, yes that's I love my, that. That's what I'm calling it. Thanks for working that. through that with me. I was really having a lot of anxiety. I was like, I don't know what I'm gonna call this. I, there's so many things that. And then I thought I knew, and then we're talking and. I'm like, yeah, it actually is really cool how it isn't a clean tragedy. Yeah, yeah, totally. It hits that note for me, mm-hmm. but that's a pathological problem I have. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, well, that's been genre reveal party. That that is, that was. Well, it still is. If you're listening at this point, um, what are we? So are next we week, promoting? if you believe, oh, are we are we committing? Are we are we committing to something next yeah, week? Are we saying what we're gonna do next? Well, week? I really want to continue with the with. I want to follow through with this um, plan that we have of watching. Okay. It's a double feature. Yeah. A pregnancy double feature. Pregnancy double feature of Juno and Junior. That's right. The the June uh the June duo. <laughs> we'll figure know. it out next week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, or we'll do some other fucking movie we didn't even next we week, didn't even say. Yeah. We're like, surprise. Yeah. Totally different movie. Right. But I I um I would like to talk about Juno and Junior. Honestly, I just want to talk about Junior, but I'll talk about Juno if I have to. I mean, and it makes a great mouthfeel to call it Juno Junior. So yeah, yeah. Um, I have to subject myself to that movie again. I know. I, I have just, no problem with subjecting myself to Junior. I love that movie. It is hilarious. Well, What's funny is I also don't really want to subject myself to Juno again. But but I thought of Ju- when we were talking about genre stuff, I think I think Diablo Cody is a very interesting yes. fucking genre on her own. For sure. Juno is a weirdly influential movie. Mm-hmm. And we've got the we've got the language fun. Yeah, I think the, my best friend genre. I was talking to her last night and she was saying the thing about Junior, or excuse me, the thing about Juno is that we all hated the movie, but we all had the soundtrack. And I just was at the record store <gasps> and I saw the CD mm-hmm. and my partner was like, why didn't you just listen on Spotify? And I was like, no, I'm going to immerse myself in the fucking twee oh. moldy peaches experience. Right. So I bought for like three bucks. I bought the Juno CD I will listen to it all the way through at least once. Um, yes. So, so there. So I may have some extra soundtrack reporting just to justify that experience. Well, that's good. Yeah, I think the soundtrack is an important um, dimension of that. Not at all with Junior. There's nothing interesting sure. about that soundtrack at all. <laughs> but if you well, want to, these are the kinds of things we'll be discussing next week. Yeah. So stay tuned for that. Oh, in yeah. the meantime, click on click on show notes, follow us, listen to my other podcast. This is your afterlife. Um, if on the Patreon, I for mine, I do have a an afterlife movie club episode with uh, about afterlife coming out soon. So that's, that's cool. Nice, nice cross promo. That is a nice. Any, anything you wanna you wanna plug? Um, no, I mean, people could buy my book and that would be cool, but yeah, it's called Comedy Against Work. It's, it's through Common Notions Press. Also, if you want to, if you want to, um, support Common Notions Press, that's great. You can become, um, a supporter of Common Notions Press and get books in the mail every month. Yeah. Really, really great way to to help out an independent project that um, 
you know, I'm not getting a cut out of this. I'm just saying, you know, I heart common notions. Same. Dave does too. So Mm -hmm. just promote them for some reason this week. (laughs) Love it. Well, all right. Should we, you know, thanks. Thanks for listening. And we will talk to you next week. 